It's the 4th of the 2nd. I'm Arthur Falls, and this is episode 26. What follows is not investment advice. The BitSquare project, covered in episode 9, aims to finally solve the problem of decentralized fiat to crypto exchange. Founded in the wake of the half-billion-dollar MT Gox catastrophe, BitSquare's goal is to pair automated escrow and third-party arbitration to allow trustless peer-to-peer currency trading. Considering the havoc wreaked by the archaic centralized exchange model, BitSquare should be considered among the most important development efforts in cryptocurrency. They've proven their ability to deliver working code, have a clear and in-depth public roadmap, and extensive documentation. It's astounding to think then that such an important project may be shuttered just because those involved worked too much and talked too little. Usually this show gets about 10,000 listens. If only 29 of you will match my three Bitcoin donation, we can keep them going for another couple of months, hopefully long enough to find ongoing financial backing and additional Java programmers to speed up development. If that's too steep for you, maybe have a look at liquidating some of those junk assets in the old counter wallet. Every little bit helps, and it's only through the generosity of the community that projects like this get completed. Funding ends on the 9th of this month. That's five days away. Today, Fernando Gutierrez and Evan Duffield discuss Darkcoin. Far more than just an anonymous version of Bitcoin, Darkcoin takes advantage of cutting-edge innovations found across the second-generation space. A mining network is paired with a network of bonded transaction processing nodes which securely mix funds and secure various types of transactions, as well as ensure a healthy collection of full nodes. We have Sporks, we have instant transactions, two-factor authentication on the way, and much more on offer from this year-old currency. Obviously, People had faith in the Darkcoin project early on for whatever reason. I, I don't really know. I remember looking at Darkcoin and I, <laughs> I, I wanted to buy a, uh, I wanted to invest in anonymity in an anonymous currency, and I wound up buying, uh, I wound up buying uh, a non-coin. And um, wow, I mean, just to think, I looked at Darkcoin and I looked at a non-coin. I was like, well, you know, a non-coin says they're going to implement the zero-coin protocol, so I guess. Uh, I guess that's probably the one to go for. I don't know, Darkcoin, it's probably just another. I didn't really research it that much. And um, and yeah. then to see Darkcoin explode in value, I was absolutely kicking myself. Now, I guess that's happened to all us who have been in altcoins because market is absolutely crazy. I came back to this in February 2014 because I had a brief contact with Bitcoin in 2012. And I was going to buy, but it was one of those moments in which it increased price threefold in a week. And, I, and it went up like to $14. And I was like, no, that, that's obviously a bubble. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, so I didn't buy and I waited because obviously it's going to go back to five, seven dollars and like that. And then soon after that, it was like at a hundred dollars and, and I just, I stopped looking and, and completely quit uh, considering myself a steal. Yeah. But this year I, I came back and I discovered altcoins and, and I saw that some of them made a lot of sense. But since the first day, it's like, oh, I should have been in this one. It went up in price like 80% in, in, in a day. And it's this race to find the, the one that is going to succeed. And uh, all that, and in the end, I, I decided to change to a different approach because I, I started to get involved with Darkcoin, and I really enjoyed. And to me, it became more about being present in this world and knowing about everything and uh, and knowing people. Because I, I, I think I'm probably not gonna be. I don't have a a huge stash of, of dark coins. Uh, and I don't think that I'm going to be, because I think that's basically lottery being the first day in a coin or the first week and, and, and getting really a huge value from that. I, I don't believe I will be super rich because of any altcoin investment I make, but I believe that being around, you can be near a lot of opportunities and, and those are the projects which 
are not directly investing, but probably starting things around cryptocurrencies, I think that's a much bigger opportunity. So I, I stopped looking at prices and investing in the last launch to see if it really goes crazy. Because I've discovered I'm terrible at that game. <laughs> anyway. Me too. Me too. And the thing is, the people who uh, the people who really do succeed, they are sure that they're really good at it. But I wonder how much of that is just sheer luck. Absolutely. I think that also if some of them had a lot of luck early on, and then they have a buffer of cash to play with. So let's say if you made a lot a lot of money from the early Bitcoin. And I mean, you have some, some people who have millions, but uh, there's plenty of people with a few hundred thousand dollars. I mean, those people can put a few thousands in and place a lot of small bets and then write them. And, and they are always going to be in, in the plane, in the winning field. They're not going to tell you about all the other small bets that didn't go well. So I don't really believe there's so so many good people at this game. I think th- there's people who believe they are good, but I'm not that sure. Well, I'm wondering, are you comfortable talking about the uh, about the dark market value of Darkcoin? I know there's a generally negative stigma around that, uh, but at the same time, for me, that seems like the only place where there's actually proven value for cryptocurrency. Are, are you guys distancing yourself? Act itself actively from the dark markets, or uh, or what's your opinion on that? My personal opinion is that it doesn't make much sense to forbid everything everywhere, and and I, I do believe that probably it's much safer to buy drugs if you want to buy them online than in the street around the corner. Uh, but we don't. Uh, we are not going to uh, pursue that market. I mean, if they use it, obviously we, we can't do anything about that. But we don't want to be the coin for dark markets, even though we have a name that may make you think that we won't. Uh, we've talked many times about even changing the name to be more uh, mainstream because, uh, yeah, probably there is a market there. And it's a huge market even for Bitcoin, and it's undeniable. But I do believe that there is much more that can be done with cryptocurrencies and with Darkcoin in particular. When we launched the foundation uh, recently, a couple of months ago, I prepared the website and set up everything. We even thought about accepting also fiat money to pay for memberships because some people uh, didn't want to spend their cryptocurrencies. Because right now it's not easy to get crypto. So once you have them, many people prefer to keep them. But in the end, we decided not to accept fiat, and we only accepted the dark coins and also Bitcoin because some people felt to pay with Bitcoin. But I was able to set up everything in days, and I started receive, we started receiving payments from all around the world, real time. You saw the money in your wallet, and that was really powerful. I was convinced before that about the power of cryptocurrencies, but those days of setting up, launching, and starting to, started, starting to see money coming in and being in our control, uh, compared to setting up a PayPal account and then people pay you their uh, monies is, is inside your account until PayPal, PayPal decides uh, the risk is already low and you can withdraw it. For me, that was a huge wide opener, even more than, than before. And I do really believe that privacy is important, yeah, talking more particularly about Darkcoin. And it's not only if you don't want to buy illegal things. There are a lot of risks on the internet uh, that we should try to avoid. And an open blockchain, I do believe, can be dangerous. It's not only, I mean, there are many reasons, apart from the philosophical one that, I mean, if you know if, that they are looking, you, you behave differently. But, I mean, it's hackers. We've recently had news about uh, early Bitcoin adopters being blackmailed 
also governments. Obviously, you and I live in, in democratic countries with some respect for our rights, but not everybody has that lack. And also, you know what will happen in the future. I don't believe that New Zealand will go, uh, there, there'll be a, an, an army taking control of everything and, and converting it into a dictatorship, but it could happen and, and your transactions are, are, are already there and they are there forever. And, and maybe there's something you would prefer them not to see. And there is also companies. I mean, the data, the data mining capabilities that are already available today are amazing. And it's not only that they can follow your transactions. I mean, they could profile you this uh, case in, somewhere in the US target sent a girl a pregnancy catalog and his father went crazy and went to Target to to know why they had sent this catalog to a 16-year-old girl. And it turned out that she was pregnant and they had uh, known about that because... Oh, uh, because... Yeah, she had bought some creams and things that uh, popped up in their database as the things that pregnant women do. Uh, so uh, they already knew she was pregnant before her family. And then they started to disguise the offers they, they, they sent to people. Uh, and they just included other random offers in, in, in the vouchers they send them. By like exploiting uh, purchase patterns and, yeah. and browsing patterns. Or think about a health insurance company profiling you and then denying you coverage because uh, they decide that the pattern they get from your purchases makes you too risky for them and, and you don't know what's happened. But I mean, that information is out there in the open. Obviously, it's not that easy to link it with people. But I mean, a, a health insurance company could eventually buy data from a, from a, a Bitcoin exchange and, and then get some some data right now it doesn't make any sense because the bitcoin space or the cryptocurrency space is tiny compared to to other things but if this goes big there could be a lot of interest in that data mining the blockchain the other day i read an article i don't know if that it's true or not that irs was uh, searching for big transactions that that were not declared and they were targeting some uh, early bitcoin adopters I don't know if that's true or not, but what I do know is that there's risk for all these activities to happen around the blockchain, that if you obscure them, you would be much safer. That's why I think it's important to have privacy. I, I recently had um, this incredible interview, or, or a couple of interviews with um, these guys recently. I've got so, because I'm finishing the podcast, I've got so much, uh, I have so much interviewing and stuff to, to get out of the way, to tie up all the loose yeah. ends, you know? And I had this amazing discussion with these guys about balancing the uh, the cypherpunk uh, privacy ethos with um, or mission with practical implementation and like practical use of these things and how some value must be transacted in the clear, in the open for all to see. But at the same time, that doesn't uh, that doesn't diminish the value of transacting in the dark, you know, and and the need to transact in the dark. I mean, that is an essential need that we have to. Uh, that we have to fulfill, and yeah, it's uh, there's there's that balance between the practical side of things and um, playing ball with the world as it expects you to, and fulfilling the requirements that are laid out by business and government. But at the same time, always being able to circumvent those somehow. You do need to have some escape from their system in order to in order to live a, a comfortable life without self censorship. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I do believe there are reasons, and, and there's many people doing interesting things in this space. Many interesting people doing doing things that partially or partially serve in terms of uh, ideology. But as I said, th this project is more about a refined Bitcoin with some things on top that we believe make it a much better currency, but we are not looking to be the, the perfect dark market coin or, or, the, or the coin 
for those trying to uh, hide their taxes. Mm. The thing is, I think right now there's this view of the dark markets as a uh, as a purely criminal enterprise. But it, like you said before, when if you want to hide your uh, your transact you know, your value transactions from a uh, from an oppressive government or say uh, say a government that is suffering, um, a, you know, a nation that's suffering a trade embargo or uh, or trade restrictions by external you know by an external government you may need to transact in the dark say potentially through a dark market uh, just to just to maintain engagement with the outside economy you know what i mean yeah that, that, that yeah I, I know what you mean now yeah absolutely that that can be quite important or nations that are imposing terrible monetary limits like uh, Argentina or Venezuela, uh, which, I mean, they forbid their nationals to their citizens to buy other currencies, and they have like an official exchange rate, which is crazy. And I mean, those people can can keep on doing whatever they are doing if they have an alternative. I mean, I, I do believe that money is being used to control people a lot, and this this gives some freedom back. Uh, I mean, and that is that's the that's the power of anonymity, and that's I suppose that's the um, that's the alternative value network that Darkcoin is building. the The makeup of the Darkcoin uh, network is it, is it still X eleven? Yeah, it's it's X eleven. The 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 algorithm for mining. Obviously, that's completely ASIC resistant and uh, infinitely so. Like it can never be ASIC, can it? I've heard that it's not possible, but I mean, every day something that was not possible is invented. <laughs> yeah, uh, ASICs. Anyway, I mean, sometimes big players are may, may be good in certain certain circumstances. We'll see. Anyway, um. It's almost uh, the time I I told Evan to to be ready. He has wrote me that he's around. Okay, let's uh, let's add him to the conversation. Hello, hello, Evan. How are you doing? I guess uh, I guess we might as well get into it. Starting off, do you guys want to each inter- uh, introduce yourselves? Um, I guess starting with uh, starting with you, Evan, and then and then you, Fernando. Okay, so yeah, I'm I'm Evan Duffield, the creator of Darkcoin. Um, I, I live in the U.S. in Phoenix, Arizona. I've been into Bitcoin since I think about mid 2010. It's been a, been a while. Um, and I, I was fascinated ever since the, the beginning with it. Uh, and, and then eventually after like watching all of these things happen in the community with, um, anonymity and everything, I, I, I got this idea of how to make a, a cryptocurrency to kind of uh, fix some of these these core issues, and and that's how Darkcoin came about originally. But we can get into that later. And are uh, you Fernando? Yeah, and I'm Fernando Gutierrez. I'm in Spain, and I joined uh, the Darkcoin project a few months after it was launched. Uh, uh, I started like uh, any other. Any other guy, I just bought a few because I felt attracted towards the the concept, and then I started to interact with the community and with Evan, and I, I simply couldn't stop. And, and right now, I, I'm part of the team with somehow ambiguous uh, job because I do a bit of everything. I'm not a developer; I don't code, but I organize things around the community. Uh, I did the website. Uh, I put time on whatever is needed, and and then I'm also like Evan. We are both in the board of directors at the of the Darkcoin Foundation that we recently created. Uh, what's your uh, What's your background, Fernando? I'm a lawyer and an entrepreneur. Uh, I I own a couple of small businesses and do real estate investments. For a living, um, but I've always been fascinated by technology. And, and when I discovered cryptocurrencies, it makes everything I loved. I mean, uh, economy and, and technology, uh, mathematics, and, and all, all put together was like uh, the perfect field to get involved. Cool. So 
the first question, I guess, uh, I guess I have for you, Evan. How do you frame the problem that Darkcoin is designed to solve? So, I, th- I think the issue is is something that's going to come up more and more frequently over the next ten years, and it's going to become very apparent of what's going on. And the the issue is that when you do a transaction on the Bitcoin network or any of these cryptocurrencies, there's a public record and it's a one-to-one relationship from where the money was to where the money's going. And then that information is literally accessible on everybody's machine that runs a full node forever. And at any point into the future, if somebody identifies who you are and who they are, now they know what happened in that one instance. So if you can figure out somebody's addresses, if you figure out a lot of people's addresses, you can mine that data. And it's it's not a problem so much now. It's it's a problem later after all of that information becomes available. Because then then it becomes a gross invasion of privacy in 10 years or 15 years of data instantly becomes available about all these people. So that that's really the the fundamental problem that I that I see. What makes Darkcoin unique? Darkcoin is it, it's a technology where I, I saw Bitcoin and I was thinking, okay, there there's a few problems with Bitcoin. One, it needs full nodes because you need propagation to work really quickly. You need uh, people to be able to sync really fast to the network and get up to speed. And you need, um, you need some sort of anonymity and you need fast block time confirmation. And all of these can be accomplished within Darkcoin, but the, the technology that we're using to do that just wasn't compatible with Bitcoin and their developers made it, uh, very well known that they weren't willing to do hard forks. So we, we wanted to go out of our way to create something where it's, it's just in a completely different direction than where they were going. And we feel it's a, it's a better direction. It's a superior direction. So there, there will be a market eventually for a cryptocurrency that, you know, values its, its users privacy and is faster and more efficient. And we're, we're willing to do hard forks. We've done. We've actually done a bunch of them successfully. And, uh, the Bitcoin developers have, have always been very scared of that. So we, we also feel that that is all another advantage. The idea or the, the value, excuse me, the value proposition behind Litecoin is largely that because it's a smaller network, because it's worth less than Bitcoin, they can afford to innovate more radically and do these kind of hard forking, hard forks and do this kind of stuff. But, but we haven't seen them do it, and I and and yet you say yourself you're hard forking, you're you're changing your code. In fact, you've recently changed from a uh, a fork of Litecoin to a fork of Bitcoin in order to adopt all of the uh, all of the development that's taken place on the Bitcoin core in the interim. Is that approach that you've taken? Is that something that you see as um as a chief uh, as one of the chief offerings of Darkcoin? This this rapid change and uh, freedom to innovate the freedom to to innovate is important and not being scared of that um because with with darkcoin uh, i invented something that the the community calls the spork which it allows you to <laughs> remotely turn on a hard fork on the network and if something goes wrong you can actually turn it off and then the network goes back to the state where it was before so there was no damage. And so you can, you can do hard fork after hard fork. And as long as you have that fallback mode, there's no risk to the network. But and the, the, oh, good. I was, I was going to say that even before having that, uh, we did a, lot, a few hard forks. One of the things that was really surprising for some people, it was how brave uh, the development team was in terms of uh, doing hard forks and if something went wrong we, we reversed a few of them i mean 
there was this constant pace of innovation and new new features and 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 doing whatever it took to to launch everything that's it this this idea of the spork i haven't uh, i haven't heard of it before can you um can either of you guys elaborate on uh, on how it works in a kind of semi technical way but uh but not something absolutely crushingly um crushingly advanced <laughs> uh, sure so there's a, there's a cryptographic key and i hold the key and when whenever you want to turn on the spork you send a message and it propagates across the network it it uses um if you're familiar with the code it uses something similar to the way alerts work so you sign a message with this the secret key that only one group has and then that propagates and that activates it. And then you can alter that message a little bit and it will turn it off. Okay. That's pretty much it. And there's just, there's a, there's a block of code that says, if Spork do this. Easy, easy as that. That's, uh, yeah, that's, does it have any, is there any way, I suppose, actually, I mean, that's, that's what we need to cover about Spork because that's pretty, uh, seems pretty easy to understand. And, um, and anything, anything beyond that is going to get pretty technical, I imagine. Um, now you invented X11, didn't you, uh, Evan? Yeah, that was the first. Uh, that was the first offering of Darkcoin. And that was the the uh, first advantage. You mean, or yeah, um, basically, I took eleven algorithms and I chained them together. And at the time, I I didn't even I wasn't even aware of this. But when when we started to get GPU miners, they noticed that it ran a lot cooler. And it ran cooler because there's these pauses between the algorithms when the the GPUs have to change, and that those those pauses allow the the equipment not to run as hot or as hard. And uh, none of the other algorithms actually actually offer that to to the miners. So so we got this huge influx of uh, of mining power, which was pretty amazing and. I think last year it was one of the most popular algorithms out there. So those pauses, are they, uh, do they occur when the GPU's memory has to be emptied out and then refilled with, uh, with the new algorithm? Is that, uh, is that what takes place? Yeah, exactly. Now that you've, uh, you're, you're on this trajectory, you know, you've, you've got Darkcoin. It's doing really well. It took off and it actually surpassed Litecoin briefly there. And um, I kind of think of Litecoin and Darkcoin kind of as, as competing for a similar niche. How do you feel, um, how do you see Darkcoin moving forward and what kind of, uh, what kind of prospects for adoption and, uh, and, and value creation uh, for the token do you see, um, say, in the next, uh, you know, one year, five years, 10 years? So there's, there's a whole list of technologies that we have on the agenda for the next year. Um, so we have X11 currently, we have Darksend, Masternodes. I can, I can actually go over all of these individually if you want, but I'll just, I'll name them for now. So X11, Darksend, Masternodes, and then we're going to have Instant X. Um, and we want to do a, a type of two-factor authentication that's in the core wallet. So it would require somebody's phone to move funds. So you could, you could have a hot wallet that's, you know, so like regularly you, you would move it to, you'd move like funds that you need protected to like a cold wallet, but you could have them in a hot wallet and guarded with two factor authentication, which would be pretty nice. Um, and then after that, we want to do IP, uh, protection so that you can broadcast the message and they can't figure out which IP it came from on the network. Beyond that, I'm not so sure. That's probably about seven months of development, maybe. I wonder the the next thing I want to talk about is um is the two factor authentication because I know that as soon as you, you that gets played, everyone's ears are going to prick up. So we I'd like to cover that, but also what do you see as the actual uh, value um, kind of what do you see bringing value to Darkcoin as in like actual monetary value? So right now it's uh, it's it's chugging along at about six six million dollar market cap, um, with relatively respectable trading volume. What do you see increasing the um, the market cap of of Darkcoin? Well, I think it'll come from people adopting and using the technologies that it that it brings to the table. So imagine 
a, a network where you can use it and there's tons of full nodes. So syncing's really quick. Like, like it's like using a, a light version of the wallet without using one. And then you have anonymity. So if you, if you want to protect your identity, you can. And then there's instant transactions. So on the Bitcoin network, you can broadcast something and a vendor can take it with zero confirmations. But if a miner comes out and releases a conflicting transaction, it will actually reverse that. Whereas on the Darkcoin network, I've actually eliminated the possibility of that happening with what we're calling InstantX. So we could do instantaneous transactions where they confirm in like 20 seconds and you could like buy a TV online or something like that. You know, you have two networks, don't you, with um, with Darkcoin. You have the mining network and then you have this distributed network of masternodes that, um, that are kind of have to put up funds in order to become a masternode. They get a... Uh, a predefined set of the um, of the issued uh, of the mining rewards, and they have a uh, have special a special role within the network, don't they? Yes, the, the, the this second network is probably not as, as important as as important innovation as, as Dax and uh, our anonymity technology or instant transaction is, because all they rely on it. The idea is that. With all these servers online, you can make them work, and you can, in in the case of Darksend, we are using them to coordinate the mixing of, of funds, and in the case of Instant Transaction, they validate transactions uh, as soon as they are done, and then log the funds. Uh, so, so there there's no possibility of of double spending, and this network is as distributed and as decentralized as the mining network. Uh, right now we have around 2,000 masternodes, uh, 50 up, 50 down, depending on the day. As you said, owners need to put up some funds, but they are not at risk. Uh, they can keep them on their computers. The only thing is that you can't spend them while you have the masternode running. And in exchange for that, you receive, as you said, a part of the, of the blog reward. Right now it's 35%, but it's going up and it will end up uh, around 60% probably in 2016. Uh, so it's a good investment, in fact. Right now with current rewards and number of masternodes, people who put uh, the, the needed money are getting around 20% return on, on, in Darkcoin. So you're weighting the, uh, the value to the network or the incentive to the, to participate in the network is weighted heavily toward these these masternodes much more heavily than mining. So is that to say that mining really is a uh, is a kind of a second class citizen on the um, on the the Darkcoin network? No, uh, absolutely not. Uh, in fact, right now the masternodes get a, a lower reward than than the miners. Uh, it's thirty five for for masternodes. Uh, Six, uh, 65 for, for miners, but both things are needed. And the special features that Darkcoin have are reliant on, on masternodes. So we need a healthy network of masternodes. And those masternodes uh, also have some costs. I mean, you need to pay for the hosting, the data transmission. So uh, it's not that one is more important than the other. We need both. The hash power has already been there in, in mining because people mine Darkcoin and they, they will keep mining it as long as Darkcoin works. And if Darkcoin works and the price goes up, it doesn't matter the percentage of the reward you get because it's going to be profitable. And for it to be profitable and, and the, the price to go up, we need the features that uh, masternodes uh, allow to have. It's right now are, are these two, but who knows what we can build on top of that. And so what are those unique features that masternodes allow offer to the network? And what are the costs uh, associated with, uh, with having a second network apart from dividing the, um, dividing the mining rewards? Well, to explain how Darkson works, probably Evan is going to do it much better than me. Are uh, you there, Evan? Oh, we've lost him. I think we might have. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have. Yeah, we lost him. I wasn't even watching. All right, here I'll, uh... Hey, Evan, we lost you there for a second. We, we were having a really great time uh, just cracking on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird. My phone just, I guess, gave up on the call. <laughs> we we were talking about the uh, the advantages and disadvantages of of masternodes and. Um, and yeah, we figured you might be the guy to um, to lay them out. Like what uh, what masternodes offer, and the uh, and also the cost of including uh, a scheme like that uh, on, into the network. So masternodes to me are um, it's it's a great way for somebody who's already invested in the currency to actually earn a little bit extra money while actually supporting the network and. For, for just like a, a normal investor like that, it creates this great dynamic because otherwise the money that they invested in the currency, they just have the currency and it would just be sitting there doing nothing. But in, in this scheme, you can put that currency into masternodes, put those things online, and then they service the network all the time and you earn interest. So it pays for the, the server fees and everything. And you can host all of these like really cool services. So. I, th- I think it's a, a a great addition to the, the the technology of Bitcoin. And what are the goods? What are the services that uh, that masternodes enable? Well, they're they're full nodes, so they they provide syncing for clients. They provide propagation. Um, they're they're actually stable points to connect to at any point when a new client gets online. So they're served up by the the seed peers. That that's that's all like normal normal stuff that the Bitcoin network does. And then beyond that. They mix coins for the uh, anonymization of money, um, and they also perform uh, the the uh, the service of uh, instant X. Um, beyond that, who knows what they'll do in the future? I, I think they'll have some some part of the two factor authentication process because that that will require decentralization. And also, it's important to to notice that uh, for all those services. We need this network to be as big as possible uh, because it's all about probabilities of being traced back in the case of Darksend or interfered with uh, uh, with instant transactions. That's why uh, we need to incentivize the creation of new masternodes, and that's why a part of the reward goes to them because the bigger the number, the more secure are those services. So let's, uh, I guess, let's look at the uh, let's look at the anonymization scheme. So, could you explain how the anonymization works, Evan? Uh, the the best way I think to explain it is to imagine imagine you're in a room and you're sitting around a table, and there's there's three people sitting around the table, and uh, the three people pull out their wallets and they take all of the bills out of their wallet, and then all three of them put all the bills in the center of the table. Now, a fourth guy comes up and he grabs the bills and shuffles them around his hand and puts the wad of cash back down. And then each person takes the the amount of money that they're owed back. Now, who knows, like, which serial number was on which bill and who, which serial number belonged in whose wallet, right? Because you're just grabbing, oh, I had a five, I had a 10, and I had a 20, right? So that's that's kind of what it's, what how the anonymization works. There's denominations and then there's these pools where lots of denominations come together and then they, they come together in a big wad of, of cash, basically, like the illustration. And then the people take back the money. But all of this is completely done in a secure, trustless way. So there's actually no risk of you even losing your money during it. And the the process consists of more than one masternode because the masternode knows whose money belonged to who in that one step. So then another masternode would come over and the process would repeat and then another one and then another one. And after, you know, after eight or 10 of those, there's no way that anybody could trace it through all of those steps. So it's, uh, it's an on-chain mixing service, isn't it? Yes. How does that affect blockchain bloat? Well, it's, it's only done when people need it to be done. So it's actually, it, say, for example, if, if all coins had to go through 10 of these chains, you would have an enormous amount of bloat. But since it's only 
people that actually want to use the money for something or they, they want like a small anonymous wallet for spending. It's so small. And it's from, from what we've seen, it's about one in a hundred transactions that are dark send transactions. So the, there's almost no bloat because of that. That's, uh, that's sweet. So, um, the other thing is, uh, instant X. So instant X works off of the same type of probabilities. And the, the way it works in a nutshell is you, instead of broadcasting just the transaction that you just did, you broadcast this special message saying, I would like to lock these funds. And then that goes out and through some, through some like mathematics, it selects predeterministically a set of master notes. So let's say the, the first one that it selects using this math. So the, the whole network knows master node XYZ is, is in charge of this specific transaction. And then it, it goes to that one. And then 10 master nodes have to say, yeah, that transaction's valid and it's okay if it's locked. So then all 10 of those sign off on it. They, they accumulate into this, this larger message. And then that one is broadcast to the network. That special message allows that actual, the actual inputs of that transaction to be locked for a period of time. So even if you tried to spend those inputs, they'd be rejected by the network. So there's no so, chance of a double spend because those, those, uh, the network is not interested in actually spending those inputs. Yeah. After there's a lock, it's final. And then, and only, sorry, carry on. <laughs> only the master. Yeah. Yeah. After, after the, after the transaction is locked by the, those master nodes, it's absolutely impossible to spend them on the network because oh, go ahead. Now I was going to say that after that, those transactions are included in the block, but the miner can't include them if uh, they contradict uh, a valid lock. Right. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's true. That basically um, it's a hard fork. So if you, if you have a conflicting block with one of these locks, it'll just be outright rejected from the network. But then it, it allows you to know that once it's locked, it's as good as in a block. Yeah. So you could take the money as a vendor and give the person the merchandise that they ordered. And then wait for that to become con- confirmed and then, uh, and then you can spend the coins. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's actually amazingly simple. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of funny that that hasn't been done already, but you know, <laughs> that's, uh, that, well, the, the more, the, the complicated part about it is how to secure it in a way that you can't cyber attack. So let's say, let's say any, anybody could be a master node on the network and you have, you select 10 master nodes that have to, have to, you know, relay this message saying they approve of it. Well, now you could start 10,000 of these, these nodes and suddenly everything's confirmed. So you can cheat the system, but with the, the way master nodes work in dark send, you have to have a thousand dark coin per master node. So there's enormous costs to try to trick the system. Okay, yeah, that's uh, because yeah, how are you going to actually get all of those um, all of those nodes together as well? So you can, but it's it's deterministic, so you can select your nodes. I'm also interested in how these what new attacks arise from uh, from having this uh, this master node scheme in place. Well, I, I've done the best I possibly can to to like envision all of the possible attacks that I could think of. So I, I believe it's pretty well protected. The, the, the way the, the deterministic math works is it takes a block hash in the past that was a proof of work and then it calculates the, the hash of one of the, the master nodes and the, the closest master node's hash to that block's proof of work hash is the one that gets elected to, to perform the, the instant X. So you would have to somehow be able to predict the proof of work hash, which is impossible because it takes the whole network. And that's where the, the foundation of all of this stuff starts. 
Okay, cool. So the next thing is uh, is two the two factor authentication, and um, and this is something I'm really interested in. As I understood it, there's an extra data field in in um, in transaction that that is included in transactions that can require a PIN. Is is that correct? Uh, the the way I was thinking about doing it does not include an extra transaction field. Um, well, it, it does when you actually broadcast a transaction that requires the two-factor. It would include whatever the pin is in the data field when it broadcasts. But let, let's step back. Um, the the two-factor authentication scheme is basically where you have a specific address and you say, I would like to protect this with two-factor authentication. And then you open up your phone Google Authenticator or, or whatever the services that we end up using. And you, you then broadcast a transaction with, um, with some data saying that here's the, the account that this is tied to. And then all of the clients on the, the network keep track of this specific account is related to this specific two factor and any conflicting transaction that doesn't have the proper code for, for that account would be rejected by the network. So when you want to spend money, then the client will ask you, hey, I, I need the, the code for your two-factor device. And then it's input to the, the data field, and then it's broadcast to the network and everybody accepts it. Now, so, but that, uh, that, um, that data field is included in a transaction with a pre predefined pin. Is, is that, see, what I, no, because the, the pin comes from the uh, two, from the two, I'm trying to see if this is a way that could, uh, if this two-factor authentication could somehow breach the anonymity of um, of the transaction. You know what I mean? It shouldn't. So there's you have you have a special code on on your phone somewhere that says you know here's the two-factor authentication account and here's the private key for that, and then you have some kind of public key that you publish to the network. And then when, whenever you do a transaction related to that account, you give it a code and it, it puts that code into the data field. So then when that's broadcast, all, all the people know is this has a two factor authentication account. Here's the public key and here was the code. And I mean, this is, this is a special kind of account, right? So. There's there's one address that's holding the funds, so you have no change addresses. I you could probably use it with Darksend, but you know I haven't really dived into it that much to to think about how that would work exactly. But well, I, sp- I don't I don't see it being I don't see it being like a huge invasion of privacy. No, and I suppose you could always send to another address and then Darksend from a non uh, from an unprotected address, just as easy as that. Exactly. Funds can be seen as they are moved around the network. They just cannot be connected to the individuals or, you know, the individual addresses that are making the transactions. Is that, that's correct, right? Well, in the blockchain, you, you can see the addresses. What you can, the thing is that if you use Darksend, those addresses can be traced back to you, but you can't send to the, the, the there's proof of send. You you can see the blockchain, the transaction in the blockchain. Uh, so this doesn't require a leap of faith by by anyone. The transactions are there. It's just impossible to trace. Okay, I was just worried about not being able to see large uh, large amounts of money being moved around the network. But I see that that's actually it's still Darksend is still transparent. It's just not. Um, it's just dissociated from the origin, basically. Yeah, because the anonymization happens out, outside of the blockchain. That, that's also an important advantage of uh, Darkcoin because all the coins do the anonymization in the blockchain. So if the cryptography were broken in the future, you could trace back everything. Whereas in our case, like it has happened outside of the blockchain, there's nothing to decode in the blockchain. Excellent. Now, what was the reason behind the shift to the uh, the Bitcoin zero point nine three core? Can can you elaborate on that, Evan? Uh, the the Litecoin developers have made it very clear that they're not really interested in keeping up with the Bitcoin core client, 
and I, I know it's, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of stuff going on there and they, they got so incredibly behind that I think they just gave up. So we were trying to get away from that so that we could actually catch up with them because there's a ton of advancement that was done in the last couple of years that we didn't have access to before this release. So now, now we can actually keep up. Like we'll have, um, the, uh, headless or uh, headers first blocks in the, the next release, which will be amazing because you'll be able to probably sync the entire blockchain in just a few minutes from multiple master nodes at once. Um, things like that will, will, will make this move uh, way better than, than where we were at before. How many people do you have on your team and how are you maintaining this pace of, it, of development? So we, we've had a huge influx of developers over the past few months. It's actually been really amazing to see. Um, it's, it's almost 10 right now as of, as of now. And the, the team in total is about 20 people, including, uh, you know, quality assurance people and all of the, the testers that help us with the releases. The, the way that, we're maintaining it. Um, I, I do the maintenance for all of the development. So everything comes in through pull requests and I review all of the, the code changes there. And then I, I do this personally full time. So, you know, I, it's, it's, it's actually my job and that's been, been quite helpful because I don't think many, many of the developers for the other coins are doing this full time. So, I mean, as it's been growing, we, we've actually been able to keep up with it. And so we have a team. I, I think I'm sure we have the second largest team in, in all of crypto right now. How have you assembled such a huge team? I honestly think it's masternodes because in the beginning, there was, you know, a, a great number of people that were very technically literate that were interested in Darkcoin, And then the masternodes came out and that gave them an outlet to earn interest on the, the funds that they had. So now, now like say, let's call him Joe. Say Joe is making five, $600 a month off of this. Now he's like, well, I, I, I could turn that five, $600 a month into, you know, a thousand. If maybe I dedicate 10 hours a month of development. And I think that that dynamic is actually what's helping us to grow so fast because it gives people incentive to give back. And then there's this, like recursive thing happening where the, the more incentives that the, the people have, the, the more they give back and then the greater the thing grows. And it's just been, it, it's starting to happen faster and faster every day. It's pretty amazing. And so the, with the, with the establishment of the foundation, um, what's, uh, how, how was, uh, how has that come about and what is, what are the immediate goals? Do you have a roadmap for, uh, for development of the foundation itself? Well, it's pretty early in, in the foundation's life to say what we'll be able to do. Ideally, uh, the foundation should be there to help develop Darkling into do something much bigger. It should help the development of the code. Uh, it should uh, help promote. It should represent Darkling whenever, whenever it's needed. Thing is, uh, we launched recently. Darkling is still quite a small. And well, the, the launch of the foundation has been relatively success has been successful for for the size of our community. But this the, the foundation still is not funded enough as to do the things that, that, for example, the Bitcoin Foundation is doing and paying for developers and and that kind of stuff. Uh, right now, we have a limited amount of funds, and we are trying to determine what's the best use for for them it's all gonna be spent in making Darkcoin uh, bigger and get, being sure that it can grow oh did you have anything to add to that even no the the foundation is definitely coming along though and you know it's relatively new i think we've only had about three meetings so far so we're, we're trying to plan out and we actually just opened up shop. So yeah, we're, we're coming along, but yeah, things are not very far. <laughs> so when it comes to adoption, do you guys have an adoption roadmap? Yeah, we are trying to, uh, 
stimulate adoption as much as possible. We have some people working on on adoption, approaching proactively businesses uh, that accept uh, Bitcoin normally uh, to try to help them uh, to adopt Darkcoin. And we are doing this proactively, calling phones, sending emails, having meetings with them, uh, helping as much as we can. There are several sectors which uh, have shown a, a deeper interest. Basically, I'm thinking now, for example, the gambling industry. Uh, for them, uh, Darkcoin is important or can be important because the gaming experience, once you use uh, instant transaction, can change completely. Uh, they all tell you that when gamers want to bet on anything, they want their money to be there immediately. So uh, having to wait for an hour for confirmations is a huge deal breaker. Uh, in fact, right now, in the next few days, we are going to launch a program to, to recruit even more people to go to real-life events to educate people on Darkcoin. Uh, to go to conferences, to universities, to, to give talks. Uh, we are taking that part really seriously and coordinating the people and, and giving them the tools to help uh, adoption. Obviously, for adoption to happen, the coin needs to be absolutely perfect. Uh, but we are at a point right now in which it's, it's almost there. Most features are working. Uh, flawlessly. So right now we're going to push a lot to, to gain more adoption. Are there any uh, Fiat to Darkcoin exchanges available at the moment? Yeah, there, there are a few. Uh, not a huge volume in most of them, uh, but you can... Crypty is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. And I think they offer Darkcoin to, to USD. Bitfinex, uh, sorry, that's one. That's probably the biggest USD Darkcoin market. Uh, I think CEX.io also offers uh, USD to Darkcoin and a few other small ones. Yeah, but the only thing uh, I think it would be important to, to get through that, that we haven't really talked about is that I really think that sometimes people ask me, why do you get involved? Privacy is so important to you. and I was going to say that your transactions in the blockchain are, are there forever. There are many uh, players that could do a lot of things with that information. And it, maybe today is not happening, but it can happen in the future. So I think it's important to take some precautions. And that's why I think that what we are offering is... It's really important. You are going to protect yourself from malicious third parties. For You are going to be much more secure if you take care of this. And it's also important that the philosophical part that, I mean, if you know you are being watched, you behave differently. Only for that, it would make sense to, to use a, a privacy-centric coin. But there are real risks uh, that you are covering if you use... Uh, Darkcoin or, or other technologies that, that helps you uh, protect your privacy. So that's you know, the only thing that I think it's also important to consider. It's not only uh, technology for technology. There's, there's a reason for this. And people should think about it and, and then act. I'd like to add something to what Fernando said, if possible. So there, there are mixers that allow someone to become anonymous within Bitcoin, but due to the way the the network is constructed, none of them are trustless. And it happens all of the time where one of these mixers is actually shut down. So I would avoid using those types of services at all costs. None of them also have been audited by security professionals, people that understand how, how this stuff works, whereas Darksend has. Um, so we've, we've taken great care 
to, to build this thing in a way where, you know, no one can lose their money, where it's completely anonymous or as, as anonymous as we could possibly make it. And, you know, it, it, it'll work for the entire network with, without, uh, you know, any issues with growth. So I think that we've, we've built like a, a really good service and I, you just, you can't find anything like that with, within any other crypto. Thanks for listening. Today's content was provided by Fernando Gutierrez, Evan Duffield, and myself. Ceases did the music, and Richard Toth mixed and mastered. Check out darkcoin.io and bitsquare.io for more info. Get me at beyondbitcoinshow at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at Arthur Falls. I only tweet great stuff. For you LTB folks, the magic word is master. That's M-A-S-T-E-R. Thank you.